We give a warm welcome to the show, our friend from Germany, Professor Dirk Lohr. He is the Professor of Taxation and Environmental Economics at the Trier University of Applied Sciences in Birkenfield, Germany. So Dirk, it's been about 18 months since you were on the show, I think, so uh, great to have you back. And uh, before we get into uh, the depths of European politics and, and economic plays underway there, uh, I wanted to uh, get you on the show to discuss your very interesting recent paper called Sustainable Public Finance, Double Neutrality Instead of Double Dividend. Uh, this paper of yours uh, alerted me to some of the concerns that have been going on with this need for transformation so rapidly in the ecological uh, frontiers. And NASA today has just released new data to say that February 2016 was the uh, most extreme increase month on month in temperatures uh, in uh, um, contemporary records. So uh, the need for change is drastic. What have been some of these battles going on within the world of eco-taxes that our listeners should be aware of? There was a very broad understanding that there should be some sort of double dividend. This means we should take the eco-taxes, the environmental taxes, first to internalize external effects. And this is a quite sound idea. This means if you pollute the environment, you should pay for it. The other idea was to use the money in order to feed the public budget and, for example, to reduce the ordinary taxes with their positive excess burdens. This means um, to facilitate economy, to reduce the side costs of labor and so on, and not to raise more harmful taxes. I think the basic idea is understandable one, but only in the first glance. If you're looking a little bit deeper, there's some inconsistency in the argument, and this inconsistency is revealed, for example, if you're looking on the past, what happened with such eco-tax reform when they have been applied into practice. And here in Germany, the former Chancellor Schröder did this. He tried to, to implement such a system in practice, and it failed. Why did it fail? It failed because the distributional effects haven't been considered. For example, um, I'm living here in countryside. People have to drive far distances in order to um, get to their working places. And so if you increase the tax on fuel, they have to pay. This means the small people have to pay. And the problem is that these eco-taxes, they work regressive. This means somebody who has a low income has a higher comparable tax burden than somebody who has a high income. So it is a way of redistribution. And in a democratic society, it is very difficult to implement such 
system for environmental protection, which, which works regressive. And by the way, if you are looking on environmental policy, in most cases, it works regressive. In most cases, it requires a higher burden from the small people than from the rich people. And this is the basic problem of ecological transformation of today. Just repeating for the listeners, the double dividend was that you could not only raise revenue but improve behaviours. But as Professor Laura has just pointed out to us, well, you've pointed out to us that it's regressive for those on low incomes. But I think what you're alluding to with your countryside example is that it's also unequal in its impact because those who live in rural communities in in lesser locations will pay more than those who live in the the city and those who are poor maybe when i'm poor i only can afford a small fiat or a small vw somebody who is rich can afford maybe a big mercedes but nonetheless when i'm poor the tax on fuel has a higher impact on me than on the rich guy relative to his income and that's the problem. It's a big problem, and it's something that here in Australia, when our carbon tax was implemented, they were very conscientious about this, and there were a number of uh, different uh, redistributional policies put in place to ensure that uh, those on lower incomes were somewhat compensated for these higher electricity um, fares they, they had to pay. So we probably learnt a lot from German economic history because you would have been one of the the leading nations in terms of implementing an eco-tax. Would that be correct? Uh, we have been one of the first, but um, as I wrote in this article, I, we did it in a very poor way because we neglected the distributional effects. And, and for example, the former Chancellor Schröder started in the, the eco-tax um, had been introduced in the late 90s. There have been already other eco-taxes, but systematically had been introduced in the late 90s, and there has been made the connection with the double dividend, which means they wanted to use the money from the eco-taxes in order to bring down the contributions to the social security, which is nothing other than a tax it's a sort of tax. So they wanted to reduce the, the uh, side cost of labor, the taxes, by taking the money from eco-taxes. This was the basic idea. And this failed more or less, because when you're looking um, on the amount, on the revenues, nowadays it is relatively less than in the introduction of the eco-tax. So Chancellor Schröder wanted to increase the eco-tax step by step, but it turned out that it was not feasible because they lost votes. We're talking with Professor Dirk Lohr from Trier University in Birkenfeld, Germany. And Professor Lohr, uh, with the, the cost to the the costs of um, adaptation to climate change, 
the Stern Review said that it's going to cost some 15 to $150 billion alone, costing more and more GDP. Uh, the rate of slow adaptation that's occurring and, and more and more of these dramatic uh, climate uh, uh, issues are coming through. There's uh, some say uh, the role of um, climate has something to do with the European refugee crisis happening at the moment. Uh, I'm just starting to wonder that uh, with all, all of this finer talk about eco-taxes, uh, still they don't include one of the most damaging some of the most damaging pollution uh, in airplane travel. What chance have we got to, of really implementing a decent system uh, using the tax base or are we getting closer and closer to the point where we're going to have to just be radical and use strong regulation to really uh, uh, curb behaviour immediately? I think we have two problems. The first problem is to internalise the external cost. I told you we can do it best if we make it in a neutral way so that it doesn't flow into the public purse but is redistributed. That it is accepted by the public, by the people, and can be also enforced in a democratic state. You sure they won't just go and spend that money on a new TV or a, a new gadget? Um, this is, this is their, their, their own choice. If they want to do that, it's okay. But the, the thing is they get compensated. They, get, they are treated as equal shareholder in nature. And this is quite important because every ecological policy has also distributional impact. doesn't matter which. So you always have to increase the prices of consumption or you have to restrict the availability of nature. You always have, um, have a limitation. You always, you always have to uh, restrict the use of nature. And the poor people are the first which are affected. So the idea of redistribution in order to make this easier, to facilitate such a policy. But on the other hand, the second biggest big challenge is the transformation of infrastructure. And here you also see, for example, in Germany, you see very well that we have a very big problem in changing to a green infrastructure. We don't have even the money to keep the old infrastructure, which is anything but sustainable. The state doesn't have enough money. So, for example, the bridges of the highways, they are old. Sometimes there are a lot of, of, of highways. Uh, theoretically, we could drive without speed limit in Germany, but in fact, there's one speed limit after the other because there are a lot of holes in the highway which have to be repaired, and there's not enough money to do so. Uh, and Even for example, in Germany, uh, you, yeah, yeah. Uh, for example, if you're looking to electromobility, nothing happens. So um, we are very late. For example, when you're looking, this has nothing to do with with uh, ecology, but it's also very, very important when you're looking on the internet. Um, the internet infrastructure is like a developing country here because they don't have money to do it. And Goodness me, that's just shocking. Yeah, this is shocking. So and, uh, this is the reason why we also have to think. First, we have to think about what shall we do with the eco-taxes. And I say, don't put it into the public budget. On the other hand, we need money into the public budget. But the best thing 
is not to use the conventional taxes we know, so income taxes, value added taxes, and so on, because they are all harmful. The best is to use a land value tax, because this is the least harmful tax. This is a complete neutral tax. So you can use the such a neutral tax in order to feed the public budget, and you can use another tax which is not neutral, environmental tax, in order to change the behavior of the people, but not to feed the public budget. This is the basic idea. Well, I'm I'm saddened to hear that even Germany's on the the road to who knows what, what visiting Detroit last year, seeing what's happening in New Orleans, um, through Asia. There, there's so many nations suffering, and the Pacific uh, nations are sinking uh, under these rising tides. Uh, to hear that Germany also has problems with uh, potholes through to um, internet, it, it's just crazy that. Uh, a friend of mine can call from Greece and sound like he's one suburb away using VoIP telephone over there. They have excellent internet infrastructure. So every country has their, their challenges at the moment, and particularly in Europe, the refugee crisis must be putting incredible strains on the social fabric of your communities there. Can you give us some insight into what it's like when uh, almost a million asylum seekers have arrived in Germany in the last 12 months? Basically, we have a problem. We have basically enough space to take them, but the space is at the wrong places. For example, we have a lot of houses which are empty, but these houses, they are quite remote in countryside. And there are people which are losers on the work, uh, on, the, on the labor market, who have no job, the, the, the uh, rate of unemployment there is quite high. And if you put too many refugees there in such villages, which are economically very weak, which are in the periphery, so um, the result will be public unrest. We experienced it two days ago, Sunday, we had elections in three states, and the right-wing party, Alternative für Deutschland, they were the big winners. And particularly, there one in an eastern German state, which is economically quite poor off. The refugees are considered there as competitors, although uh, it is a nonsense, but they are uh, considered as. And so it makes much more sense to bring the refugees into agglomerations. But here we have the problems. We don't have enough space in the agglomerations. Even without refugees, we would have a problem because uh, the data which changed in the last years very dramatically, low interest rates and so on, lead to higher land rents and land values, particularly in the uh, agglomerations. And meanwhile, it is very, very difficult for the people to get affordable housing. And now it is even more difficult to put the refugees to those places where we already have these conflicts. This is the basic problem we have now. 
and property prices are rising according to the Bundesbank. They're some 10 to 20% higher than is justified by uh, the economic fundamentals and demographic trends. So there's a lot of pressure building in Germany as well as Greece, Italy, you name it, with uh, these society-wide pressures. And how are you feeling the public's appetite for deep-seated reform is flowing from these pressures? Are they looking for considered debate or is the the public analysis falling to the, the radical fringe type analysis? I think the public analysis is, how to say, it is quite moderate. So if you're looking to the to the institutes and so on, the scientific institutes, anyway, sometimes they're doing quite good analysis. If you're looking to most of the people, they're also quite moderate. There's a lot of help for refugees and so on, and the problem is not, uh, for most people, it's not such a big problem. The problems are the losers. Those people who have been the losers of the society even before, now they feel even harder threat, harder competition. So the idea is the refugees, they get a lot of support in terms of social shelter and so on. They get housing and so on, and we get nothing. And this is the point where the poor are brought against the poor. And this is the point where in the last elections at the weekend, the right-wing party and the right-wing political forces, they they had a big success. Well, that's uh, quite worrying. And now with the European Central Bank reducing interest rates to zero, uh, how is this going to play out? Uh, is it really going to increase uh, business activity? I am in doubt of that. It is a sort of declaration of bankruptcy because they don't have other means anymore because so far in the when you're looking in the recent past it turned out that the money didn't flow into consumption and the money didn't flow into demand for goods and services in order to stimulate the business cycle um, maybe a little bit in Germany this took place but in other countries particularly at the periphery of Europe it didn't take place um, on the other hand we could see that um, this policy stimulated very much the asset price. The money was used in a secondary circle of money in order to buy stocks and real estate. And I guess also this stimulus of the European Central Bank will not have the results which Draghi uh, intends um, to achieve. Goodness me. Well, how much more do you think the people are going to withstand? How much longer are they going to sit on the sidelines before a, a big public movement again develops? Because it's it seems like a vacuum that the right wing are enjoying at the moment. What's happening from the progressive left? Is there more discussion of land taxes there and the need to address the incredible monopoly rents that have resulted from so many privatizations of, of natural monopolies? Um, this is a pity because particularly in I can speak for Germany only. I think in Great Britain it's quite different because the ideas of Henry George are much more common there. But when you're looking on Central Europe, 
Um, so Henry George uh, is not very well known. And right now, for example, in Germany, we have a discussion about several taxes, also about property taxes, and they want to reform, but they want to introduce, for example, a wealth tax, or they want to also reform the property tax in a way that is almost working as a wealth tax. They didn't understand the ideas of Henry George. They didn't understand that the land rents and the changes in property pricing have huge distributional effects. This, they didn't get this idea, the left-wing forces. So the astonishing thing is we have a campaign for uh, land tax reform according to the ideas of Henry George. And the interesting thing is that most of the support doesn't come from the left-wing spectrum. Most of the support comes from conservative spectrum, from the conservative party mayors or from um, economic institutes, uh, economic research institutes, which are also known as being um, on the side of the companies and not on the side of the of the workers and so on, because they see, okay, uh, the land value tax is a tax which is not harmful and which is tax that is also uh, easy to be implemented and so on. All these arguments they see, uh, we have no support from left-wing political forces so far. It's very interesting, isn't it, how the... Uh the belief in the market system can lead people to understand this story um, more easily than those who don't believe, if you like, in the the information clearinghouse of the pricing system. And when uh, we we have what some have called the or Marx called the the falling rate of profit, do you think that some of these um, conservative think tanks are recognizing that entrepreneurs and genuine producers need to be shielded from the rent-seeking activities of these property flippers of these monopolists uh, b- via the tax system? I only can speak for Central Europe, and I think. Um this is not the way these conservative think tanks are thinking right now. Um, the thinking is much more short. They are more focused on the way wages, for example, are fixed and so on, but not on these effects of taxation. The way wages are fixed, and they're talking about high wages. Yeah, in the interplay of uh, of the workers' unions and the employers' organizations and so on. Um, this is uh, what they are fixed, what the discussion is fixed on, is focused on, uh, and they are not thinking about the, 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 the effects which uh, change taxation might have. For us here in Australia, we look at Germany as the bellwether of Europe and and ex- expect that uh, your superior economic growth will pull Europe through. But are you starting to doubt now, some eight years after the global financial crisis, that even Germany's economic powerhouse is going to be able to help some of the, the these distressed states uh, as 
we sort of wade our way towards what I foresee as uh, failed states in coming years where where the social contract has been so torn apart by these vested interests that uh, sensible public policy is no longer possible and uh, wars are used as a handy diversion tool from the sort of racketeering that's going on. How, how do you see the, the European Union playing out? I'm quite afraid. I think the situation right now is very fragile. Particularly in the periphery, it could be that there will emerge some um, sort of failed states. For example, when I'm looking to Greece, the way they are treating Greece right now, they are leaving all the burdens of refugee, they are putting them to Greece without any solidarity. This is not very good, particularly considering the fact that Greece is still suffering from, from the old problems, uh, from the financial crisis. So, and now it is also the main, the most problems of the refugee crisis are put to Greece now, and both together it's very difficult for them to to bear. But there are also other states, such as France. France also um, makes me worry a lot because when you're looking, for example, on the unemployment rate, it's also very high and people in France are very discontent with the government. When you are looking on the last elections, which happened also the right wing around uh, Marie Le Pen, um, they gained a lot of votes, and many people already worry that the next president of France could be a right-wing radical. And so I don't think so. I think people in France, they, they protest. They are, most of them, they are not really right. But there's a change in, in the mood. There's a change in political culture in many countries of Europe right now, and many have um problem. This also has to do with the euro. The euro was always a big problem. Um, but it also has to do a lot with the tax system, with the financial system. So, for example, France also, they have a huge taxation, particularly in work. And uh, this makes the situation more difficult. And so, also other states, such as Spain, they really didn't get out of the mess. And now comes the refugee problem. And the reaction of simple people is, oh, we are in a mess. And there are coming people who are looking differently. So they are guilty. This is the very simple uh, mechanism. Many people uh, react. And this is a big problem for the refugees. This is a big problem for Europe. And this is a big problem for the economy. So I'm not very, very optimistic um, because what we needed now were solidarity, more common activities which lead into the right direction. But right now, Europe is divided between Eastern countries and Western countries, and the Western countries are also not speaking with one voice. So 
the situation is quite messy. Well, Professor Loa, is there anything optimistic we can leave with? What would you recommend to <laughs> listeners to try and maintain a sense of sanity as they uh, try and hide out from the weekly, the nightly news cycle? It's it's almost too much to watch uh, for myself. Uh, I, I don't like my kids watching it anymore. Uh, how, how do you stay sane, Professor Loa? Oh, this is very, very difficult, uh, this question. You know, I bought a poster for myself with a very famous uh, sentence of Martin Luther, the founder of the Protestant Church. And he said, so if I knew that the world would be destroyed tomorrow, I would plant an apple tree today. <laughs> and I think this what we have to do. We have we don't have to, to, to give up. And such situations which are how to say, in a, in a turnaround, in a, which are moving, they always have some chances. If the con, uh, situation is conserved, if everything's running well, wrong, but well, then we don't have a chance to change anything. If we have, a, if we have some, some breaks in history, if we have some, um, some, some changes, then we have a risk and we have a chance. It's like investments. We can lose a lot and we can win a lot. So uh, it is more important than before that we don't sleep, but we are um, doing the right action. So there we have Dirk Lower from Germany reporting in on how eco taxes are regressive and we can rebalance that using land value tax that uh, gives uh, incentives for decentralization as well as uh, uh, simultaneously curbing sprawl providing self-funding infrastructure but yeah that is so scary what's happening in germany even their tax system can't look after society so yeah apologies for that recording there that was uh, submarine like wasn't it anyway get in touch via renegades at earthsharing.org.au thanks for the retweets of the show of recent my name's carl fitzgerald see you next week here on 3cr Hi there, shipmates!